Take from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, a show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. John Trumbull, how are you? Good, sir. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We're, uh, <laughs> it feels weird to be wishing us a, a Merry Christmas, even though this episode is going to come out the day after Christmas. We're recording it well before Christmas, just because of scheduling, and partly because we have a special guest today. Yeah, we do, don't we? Yeah, I see him in the, in the chat room right now. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and since we're doing, uh, we're closing out the original Ghostbusters movie, uh, we decided to invite back our friend, Ghostbusters fan supreme, comedian Kevin Israel. Hey, Kevin. What's happening, fellas? Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Of course. I mean, we we wanted to have you back. I mean, it just it just seemed right. If we we're going to do Ghostbusters two, and you know, we're we're tying it in because it's it's the climax of the film takes place on New Year's Eve. So we thought, what better time to do it than Christmas going into New Year's? And who better to have back than Kevin Israel? Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate being the go-to for this topic. Absolutely. Yes. You're like a Ghostbusters expert, the uh, the barista of uh, Ghostbusters. My life has achieved everything I could want to now. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> My Yay! mom would be so proud. Yay. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, as like as uh, John said, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about uh, Ghostbusters 2, yes. the sequel to the smash hit film Ghostbusters, uh, written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, directed by the late, great Ivan Reitman, uh, came out in June of 1989, which was a pretty big, pretty big month for movies that year. Like I looked yeah, it, it up, opened like a week before Batman, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Tim Burton's Batman came out that month. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out that month. Do the Right Thing, uh, Dead Poet Society. Wow, a big month, big the month. Summer of '89, man. That's just nuts. How many huge movies came out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh... And I think the month after that, in July, I think that's when... Uh, actually, that's another thing I, I realized. This is like the third movie we've done where it takes place... Where it, where it came out during the summer of 89. Because in July, uh, when Harry Met Sally came out, and UHF, uh -huh. which is uh, two other movies we've talked about all in this podcast. Well, look at that. How look about at that. that. Uh, yeah, so the budget of this film was between 30 and 40 mil. May 215 mil. So uh, wow. not too shabby, mm. I'd say. Not too shabby. Uh, I remember seeing this back in the day. I would have been 16 going on 17. So, Darren, you would have been, what, like about 11? Uh, probably 12, yeah. 12, like I, that's I right. Don't, I don't remember seeing this in the th theaters. I don't think, it, I don't think like, Ghostbusters hit me until high school. Like, but this is, so this is just, like, junior high. This is, you know, like, a uh, little baby Darren. So, like, okay. I, I definitely remember seeing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in the theaters, but I, I didn't see this. Kevin, what about you? I know when we were talking about the first Ghostbusters movie, you talked about how you your dad took you to see the original, and I think yeah. it was the first movie you saw in the theaters. My uh, yeah, my sister actually took me to see it. It was uh, I think it was right around my birthday. Uh, mm. Was the first one I was I was eight. Um, for so for this I was I must have been thirteen, mm -hmm. and I have to be honest, I don't remember if I saw this in the theater. I don't think I did. Really, I don't, I don't, I don't remember having that experience. But you're the, I, ghost, you're the Ghostbusters aficionado. What, I, I know, I know, and it's so weird that I hadn't thought about this before. But I don't remember when I saw this for the first time. Wow, that's really, it's really strange. I, I, 
I want, and I will give this all the caveat that I have a terrible memory. <laughs> um, okay. So I very well could have been in line the opening night and seen it, and right. it has been blank from my memory. But I know I'd, I actually don't remember. I I don't remember like a first experience with this movie like I do the original. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, <laughs> this movie, I I think. Part of what hurts this movie is it repeats a lot of the stuff from the original. And it, I mean, almost beat for beat sometimes in in the plot, you know? Yeah, there are a few things where it's like, oh, they kind of did that in the first one and the yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like in the big scene at the end when they go visit the mayor, you know, Lenny. Oh, yeah. And like, oh, yeah. you know, it's them berating, uh, like, you know, uh, Lenny's or the mayor's like subordinate the same way they right. did with Walter Peck. But uh, the guy here isn't as uh, formidable an opponent as Walter Peck is. So no, he's no, he's, I mean, Kurt Fuller, great character actor, and I've liked him in a lot of other stuff, but, you know, he's no William Atherton. Yes, who? Oh, and, who is? And, uh, Kevin, do you know why William Atherton didn't do the sequel? Because it seems weird. I, I, I don't, actually. I would almost guess that they probably didn't want him back. Really? I would, I would Just... think that they probably wanted an, an, a new lackey. To be that, to be that Ooh. character, I have. I don't know. I don't know how you want to go through this because I have so many thoughts about this movie. Well, I, I think we can just do like a freewheeling discussion. I think Ghostbusters Two is so familiar to people that I don't think we have to go through a plot by by plot point. I kind of gave up taking notes halfway through my rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I'm not gonna. I didn't even. I didn't even do the recent rewatch because I just recently saw it. Right. Okay. On my own. Um. So, if you don't mind, I'll give you a few of my thoughts. Oh, please. So, and you already started to say it, John. If this movie was a standalone and there was no Ghostbusters 83, 84, uh, 84, uh, this would have been a great movie. Uh huh. This, this would have been, you know, a, a real standout of a movie. The problem is the original Ghostbusters exists and it was an incredible movie. Yeah. The the tone of this movie, and I can never quite explain, and and I know I'm going to stumble around trying to make the point. All I can say is this movie has a very '90s feel to it, even uh-huh. though I know it was '89, but it had a very early '90s movie feel to it. The look, just the the tone, the jokes, all felt very sitcommy, mm-hmm. and the movie itself really got away what for me and what we and i discussed this we we all discussed this last time uh for the for the original was the great thing about the original was that it it really walked the line of comedy science fiction and horror so well Mm -hmm. and the jokes never felt like oh well this is a comedy jokey joke movie like the jokes felt very natural very organic very like those are the cat that's how the characters would behave because you know in some comedies when somebody like makes a joke you're like oh nobody would make a joke at this moment Right. But you you believe that these guys like you believe that Peter Vankman would be cracking jokes during a very you know when being attacked by a giant uh, marshmallow man. Mm-hmm. Um, this the sequel felt very sitcommy. It felt very like it was leaning all the way into the comedy and away from the sci-fi horror that really was what made Ghostbusters so great. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of what really hits the movie is that if you watch the two back to back, they feel like it feels like it was written by two different people. Mm-hmm. Even and, though it is the same writing team, it was still right, which, like which is, 
in Harold Ramis. And that's it's bananas to me because they feel like two such different movies. Um, and my other big issue with this movie, and I mean, there's 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 and there's stuff I really I do I like this movie. I do I like it when it's on. Yeah, I th- I mean, honestly, I think it's fine. I think it's okay. It just it just doesn't blow you away like the first Ghostbusters did, and that that might be an unfair expectation for any sequel because when you're seeing a sequel, part of it is you want a repeat of the experience of the first movie, right? Um, right. And they do give us that. <laughs> well, yeah, and so I think I and I think therein kind of lies the rub, is that the movie they went the very easy lazy way to go about it that mm-hmm. oh you know they fell on hard times. Nobody believes in them. Boom, there are ghosts, and they're back. That that seems to be the really kind of easy, lazy writing way to do it. What I would have liked to see is that they were actually successful and that they get called on to like a bigger job or something that they can't handle. Mm -hmm. And they they come up with a bigger bad. Because going from uh, Gozer, who was made out to be this super terrifying... Uh, villain to Vigo, who is a painting. <laughs> yeah, you know it's just it's just not the same. And then they have this wonky disconnect or connection between the slime running under the secret of the ooze, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and the paint. Like it, it just it was all really put together very janky. It just didn't. It never feels right. As far as the the danger, and you don't feel it, never feels as ominous as Gozer and then what the original did. And yeah, I, I was kind of surprised in this rewatch that uh, Vigo wasn't as effective as a villain as I remembered. Um, I, it just didn't. He, he just didn't uh, really do it for me. I mean, uh, Peter McNichol is wonderful as as Janos. He's oh, great. great! Oh, he's I mean, he's, he's the standout. He is easily the best thing in this movie, and he's—I mean, because he's—he's the new thing. So, but but he does a really good job at being comedic while being creepy. Mm -hmm. And when he gets possessed by Vigo, it was—that's a creepy moment when he's walking through her apartment, and that—that's all. That was with like the laser eyes. Yeah, with yeah, with the with the X-ray eyes. Yeah. Like that was all a really cool, creepy moment where you almost felt like, oh, this is Ghostbusters. Like this has that eerie feeling to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he was definitely kind of cool because he does walk that line where he is kind of cute and funny in some scenes, like, you know, especially when he's uh, hitting on uh, Dana. But then, like you said, like those scenes where he gets possessed and he his eyes light up red and like it's like, oh, wait, no, he's actually kind of like a like a creepy dangerous threat here yeah yeah one of my uh, so and so so my going back back to my my big issue point with this with this movie with the plot nobody remembers the marshmallow man walking through the city yeah they, they kind of write it off quickly they say like oh you know you guys faked everything or you use hallucinogenic gases or something and like that, that to me is the laziest Mm-hmm. worst writing i could imagine <laughs> because all right it was it's it it happened in you know 84 this mm-hmm. is now 89 it wasn't that you know the internet and social media listen to me if that had happened in the 80s we would still be talking about it today right. like it would be in history books 
there would be classes in college talked about it. People would be going to paranormal combat school. Mm-hmm. Like, this would be a whole industry. This wouldn't you, have just been written off and like, ah, it didn't like that's great. Like Sully Sullenberg landed a plane in the river and we're still talking about it. Right. And right. these and we guys made a movie about it. <laughs> we're yeah. And, yeah. And you're right. And Tom Hanks started a movie about it. And these guys stopped the world from being destroyed. And they're just like, that was pyrotechnic. Like what? Yeah. Come on. Fake news. That, yeah. Right. <laughs> Those exactly. were crisis ghosts. And so that just, and that, so that almost, I think subconsciously, just steals the entire validity of the movie from me. Cause I could see if that they like, if, if the original ghostbuster ended and somehow nobody realized, like even if it ended and like Vigo's last act was to make everybody forget what happened or something, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know. Or like, or this all happened in secret and not in front of thousands of people staring at the base of the building, which was a terrible idea, by the way, uh, uh-huh. while this is all, but the, the the news was there. The military was involved. Like they would have been, the Ghostbusters would have been taken into like by the CIA. Like there, there. I mean, so much else would have happened besides them just being like, "Yeah, sorry, you guys are out of work. This isn't like it." Mm-hmm. it it's just ridiculous to believe that that that's how this all went down, and it and it and it almost feels like they like they that they they resorted to that lazy kind of writing. Purely so they could go back to all the gags from the original, like you said, with the mayor's office and with the, you know, the, 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 the hard nosed lackey who's, you know, giving them a tough time and the whole thing and put them in this, in this, in the psycho ward where they can, like, it's just, it was just such a lazy attempt at a sequel, which is also why I didn't like the the third installment because it felt like, again, like just lazy, like, let's just give them what they like. You mean uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, right? Afterlife, yeah. Yeah. I, th- that's the only third I know of. Um, <laughs> Damn. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there was just... But if you if you take all of those problems away, which it's hard mm-hmm. to do, but if you take it all away, it still, to me, is an enjoyable movie. There are some great moments in this movie. There's yeah. some... Yeah, like, I mean, one of the things that I liked about this film, like, I will agree with you, the whole thing where just no one remembers what they did to save the city and they all kind of dismiss it as, you know, oh, it was fake news or whatever. Uh, that, yeah, that is a little, they kind of they were kind of stretching it there. I wasn't too wild about that. I did, however, like the part where they say, yeah, we, they're at, they went out of business because they got sued by the city and the state and everybody. That I feel like would happen. That would have Yeah, I, I do like that. I do like that sort of reality ensues. Uh, uh, thing where they're sued into oblivion in between the movies because it, it does give them an arc to kind of come up from the depths again. Um, and and you know you got that cute scene at the beginning with uh, with Ray and uh, Winston, and they're you know you think they're on a call, yeah, doing Ghostbusters, and it's a kid's birthday party. So you see how far they've fallen. And I I love the when he comes out and he's like ungrateful yuppie larva. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a great line. Yeah, we get a call. He man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get a nice little cameo from uh, Ivan's kid, Jason Reitman. Oh, yes. right, right. That's right. Yeah, who says my dad says you're full of crap? <laughs> Which <laughs> perfect line for and uh, uh, Reitman's Ivan Reitman's daughter. I think her name was Crystal. She's like the little girl who uh, is handed the puppy when Egon's doing his psychological experiments. So oh. both of his kids. 
or at least two of his kids have cameos in the movie, which is nice. Oh, and that's and that's that's a great scene. This, yeah. so the whole scene in the in the la- seeing them like what seeing what they do, seeing mm-hmm. Peter as a you know a, a cheesy TV show host. Like I buy into that. That's right. definitely something you do. That whole scene with him talking to the you know the person that thinks the the world is ending, uh, and that's all. That was funny. Yeah. The, yeah. Ray running an occult bookstore is great, and that and that was great that it carried over to Afterlife. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. I liked how that um that one woman that Peter had on his show said the world was going to end on Valentine's Day, twenty sixteen. Like part of yeah. me was like, oh, she was close. She <laughs> <laughs> was close, not far off. <laughs> She's off by like six months. <laughs> Only you knew. <laughs> she met up with that alien at the Paramus uh, Holiday Inn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was pretty funny. I'll give it that. I mean, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of funny stuff. And, you know, it's even even the scenes with Bill Murray and uh, Sigourney Weaver kind of falling back in love. Those have a charm to them, I think, because those two have a real chemistry together. Yeah, they 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 did or they do. And they the the scenes with the with the baby, with with Vankman and the baby were really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the joke, you know, can you put him down? Well, you, you, your, your eyes are kind of far apart, blah, blah, blah. And you're a terrible burden on your mother. <laughs> right, like it, took yeah, me, yeah. it took me years to get that joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did not get that the first time I heard it. Like I li- <laughs> I think, yeah, I li- it took me a while to be like, Oh, I see yeah. what he did. There. I do that to my baby now all the time. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you're, you're bringing him up, right? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Of course. He already has a, a Ghostbusters sweatshirt. Oh, well, um, of course, of course. But the you know, in a way though, like Sigourney Reaver's Dana Barrett's character went through a lot in the original Ghostbusters. Okay, and, okay, and, yeah. What? This is the thing that bugs me. Like people writing off the events of the first movie bugs you. Um, she's a concert cellist in the first movie, and she's an art restorer in this one. <laughs> I'm like, both of those are occupations where it takes literally years to learn the skills involved and get anywhere. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I'm just like, and then, you know, Lewis Tully goes from an accountant to a tax attorney, which, okay, I guess that's plausible. They say he went to night school and got his law degree. I don't know why he did that. Um... <laughs> But they have some really weird career trajectories in the Ghostbusters universe. I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah well, so as a, a once lawyer, the yeah. entire his his the act of his in the entire in that scene is ridiculous. And I, you know, yeah. I you could make fun of like you know, look, my cousin Vinny does the greatest job ever of representing a a, a a trial while making it funny um yeah. and it still respects some of like that there's actual procedure and you have to say and do certain things and the mm-hmm. judge will not allow certain things in this movie it's just like ah it's rick moranis let him say what he wants like right. it's just like okay he went to night school but you still learn in nights like it's not like you're just going it's not like you're going to a cracker jack box and just getting a law degree you're still going to school like he's still gonna know something um and i don't like like clearly lewis tully was an awkward weird guy in the first movie like he was clearly like socially awkward but he wasn't a moron he wasn't an idiot yeah he was and he must have been pretty good at his job because he had all those clients there and he knew what he was talking about 
And when and you know when the 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 couple comes in and he's like you know oh Dan has a receivership and blah 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 the whole yeah yeah so they're like, okay <laughs> he knows everything about these clients so he's he's clearly good at his job and bad with people but now they're just like ah uh, he's just a moron uh huh and I hate they did that with another in another movie in a very very different comedy series which I always like to call the Stifler effect if oh you, yeah. If you ever watched, if you ever watch all of the American Pies back to back, which I don't know, I mean, which I do on a weekly basis. (laughs) (laughs) Stifler goes from being this like bonehead jock asshole to a complete moron Mm -hmm. in the in the in the in the American Wedding. Like his character completely changes, and he, you know, he goes from kind of being a douchebag to like mentally disabled. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I feel like they, say, they did the same thing with like Joey from Friends. Like in the big, be- yes. I used to watch Friends a lot back in the day, and like oh in the early days, he was you know he was dopey, but he was you know he wasn't a total. He, he had street smarts. Yeah, yeah, he had street smarts. But then like towards the end of the series, they made him like just almost like a drooling fool. Right. <laughs> it was well, because really it's weird. the same thing. It's like, well, what do they like? What do they like about ah? He's a he's a moron. Let's just keep making him a bigger moron. Yeah, because yeah. stupidity's sort of a, a bottomless well comedically. I mean, right. and it's yeah. the same thing with with Lewis Tully. They were like, you know, oh, he's let's just make him like as goofy and doofy as possible, and that's what they did. And that's what that whole you know his whole thing. And then when he you know he dresses up as the Ghostbuster and puts on the outfit, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was just like I you know that wasn't who that character was really. And yeah. I get it's I, it's definitely picking nits, but it, it just shows yeah. like how in this movie they decided to lean really hard into everything that worked in the first one. Yes. Yeah. Like, I also feel the same way about Janine Melnitz, too, because they really yep. switched to her character, too, because like in the first one, you know, she was kind of, I guess, dowdy would be the word, like a like a secretary. But like in this one, they like kind of sexied her up and like kind of made her like like Cindy Lauper almost. Yeah. It was like a total yeah. 180 with her character. I think they were influenced a bit by the cartoon because like we had the real Ghostbusters cartoon between the original movie and this one. And it was a definite influence on, on Ghostbusters too, from what I understand. I mean, that's why they're like, they, they're not really smoking. There aren't as many sex jokes. I mean, there's, you know, there's nothing yeah. like the, the ghost BJ scene in this one. You know. Um, and you know, so it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty clearly a PG. <laughs> Because they wanted to hang on to that kid audience that that the first movie got and that the cartoon had expanded on. Yeah, that makes sense. They definitely they definitely cartooned it up. Oh yeah. Like. Oh yeah. It it definitely has that wacky cartoon esque feel to it. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I mean, I felt like the courtroom scene kind of felt that way too. Like once the uh, the Scolari brothers pop out of the the slime and. And and run all run all over the place. It seemed pretty, like they they were definitely leaning into the zany in that scene. I thought, yeah, yeah. You know what? I I mean, I kind of liked the court scene. It didn't it didn't bother me too. I mean, they looked a little ridiculous. Like the special effects didn't look great. Yeah, um, it didn't. I think look it was as... the B team for from ILM. Yeah, working on this movie because I I believe their their A team was working on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which also came out in the summer of '89. And I know, I know this because that's why Star Trek five has really bad special effects was because ILM's top two tier teams were, were booked up with between last crusade and ghostbusters two. Oh, wow. Oh, Star Trek five came out this uh, month of June, 1989 too, I think. 
Mm-hmm. And hey. that's why the effects suck. Because <laughs> <laughs> they went with this this small town guy and it, it didn't it didn't work out too well. Oh boy. But. Yeah, and you know what? And that and that goes to sort of one of my other points about the movie that I've that I've never been able to really capture in describing is that the looks of the two movies are very different. Just the, mm. the I don't know if it's the film that they were filmed on or the cameras, but the 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 original movie has that kind of grainy look of that movies had back then that yeah. made it that made the whole movie look more serious and it made had it it gave it that I don't know it just gave it a feeling of more uh, gravitas I don't know well, I can, it, it I seemed more real it. world yes yeah. yes yeah where the 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 eighty nine movie the sequel looks like an like that's and that's why I say it has that nineties feel it looks like a sitcom it has that it's much brighter much a lot more close up shots um yeah. very very you know the, flatter lighting yeah yeah to, yeah totally. Like the the all, it looks like all the scenes were blocked, so everybody was like, you know, closer together. It just, it, it just has a very different feel to it. It feels like you're not watching as much of a movie as you are almost a sitcom, and I mm-hmm. think that takes away from some of the, you know, the 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 horror aspect. You know, if there if there was one in the original. Um, well, I can I can see that. I mean, you know, part of the beauty of the first movie is the way it just builds and it just leads you bit by bit into this supernatural world until it, it escalates until finally we have this, the state pop marshmallow man walking through the streets of Manhattan. And this one, we don't have that quite so much because we know from the first movie that goes surreal in this world. So yeah. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it meanders a lot more than the first movie. I think it doesn't really build the way the first one did, which is something I kind of missed. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, and, and I think a lot of it goes, as far as the plot goes, it goes back to the, like, they, it felt like they had two ideas. Like, what if there was, you know, New York is such a hateful place. What if there was this energy flowing under the city that was right. infected by how miserable people are? Oh, oh, and what about if there was a painting that was haunted? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, how are we going to p- combine the two? Don't worry. Like, there's never really any explanation for what the connection between the two is. Exactly. No, yeah, I very I, vague. Yeah, they're yeah. very vague on it. Like I never understood what it was. I did like the fact that when they were investigating, uh, like where the uh, the, you know the the pulse was coming from. Like when they first go to Dana's apartment, they find out like it's coming from the the sidewalk, the street. They decide to just dig up the street and <laughs> drill a hole in the middle without <laughs> asking for any permits or any permission. It just uh, that's I don't know that I got a kick out of that. It's like you could have just. I don't know, go to a manhole and and uh, gone down there. Yeah, I did like the nod though to the fact that like the city is such a mess that you could start drilling a hole in the middle of the street, and it would take a while for anybody to ask a question. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who told uh, you to stop cutting? In fact, I mean, in fact, the, the the real fiction of that is probably that like the cops ever caught on to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's true. But yeah, I mean the river of slime thing, like I. I mean, I looked it up. It, it seems like it was an idea that um, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd have about, like you said, like what ha- what would happen if like all the negative energy in the city was kind of channeled in this way. And they, I guess they wanted to make it like a metaphor for, you know, the bad feeling that's going on in the inner city and issues. And like, I think they liked the idea of what would like what would happen if the entire city of New York had to be nice to each other or face annihilation. 
like it like there was something in that idea that they really like to play with i think from what i read which is interesting but i don't know if it, they... it, it, it is and it would have probably been good as an entire movie <laughs> yeah know, like yeah. they didn't yeah. without the without the vigo that i mean it almost could have been two different movies um although the idea of like a haunted painting isn't you know isn't very interesting and the way the movie the way the movie ends is very messy <laughs> it's mm-hmm. you know the you know it's like well we need to have something huge walk through the city but let's make it a good guy this time <laughs> right and so it's the statue of liberty which is right insane and and it almost feels like they they could have done so much more with that than what they did. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> really, in the end, they had her walk through, and then she just slams into the the slime wall. And supposedly, the supposedly the Statue of Liberty walking through the streets of New York gives everybody this like rush of good feelings, where they all it's enough energy to weaken the the wall of slime or whatever. And it's like if. Could you imagine the terror if people saw the Statue of Liberty walking through the city? Nobody's going to be like, yeah, New York, what a place. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I kind of like that. I, I, I think I like what they're going for there. Is that it, it gathers everybody's good feelings. I mean, I, I, th- I think that works for me. I, I don't like that it is a little too repetitive from the first movie where, yeah, I'm sure they said at some point we have to have some equivalent of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man from the first movie. and let's, So it is a little too repetitive that they have a, yet another giant thing walking through Manhattan. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, when you think about like that, like they just kept trying to make that, a, like the, the huge ghost keeps being a thing in all the movies. Yeah. And... I don't know. It's just it. the The ending of the movie is a bit of a is a bit of a letdown from where you from where you were going. Because again, there were there were there are like the the scene in the in the in the train tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was cool. And the you know even the scene of him going to get the slime, like and seeing the river of slime. Although the special effects were awful, just the idea of being you know, trapped there. And he's, you know, that was, that was, you know, an, an interesting kind of cool idea. Like, and I mean, the amount of movies that have the trope of there's something under the city that people don't know about because the city's so old and it's been built over so many times, like, but it, it works in this. Um, and you know, the, the whole thing that Vigo wants, but of course Vigo wants Dana's kid, like of all the women in the city, they don't really explain that either. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why is it that it's Dana and her, her son, Oscar, that are mixed up in all this? It it, it just is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it was because um, well, Vigo first possessed uh, Janos and Janos was like, oh, I know where I can get a baby. And he just yeah. went with uh, Dana's kid because he, he was just so obsessed with it. Yeah. Her. And because Janos wanted to be with Dana. So he, yeah. was, he, you know, he was getting something out of this bargain, too. Yeah. True, true. Um, yeah, he he really is like the Lewis Tully of this movie. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess so. And th- wow, I didn't even think of that. Holy moly! Yeah, that was, that was incredibly deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I full disclosure, I I watched the honest trailers on Ghostbusters too. 
uh, just before we started recording and they made that point. I was like, yep, I, I see that. Yeah, I see that. So that is not an Cheater. observation that is original to me. Um, but I did, I did read that. Um, I remember reading in like Starlog magazine back in the day um, that Peter McNichol, when he, he got the part of Janos, he, he was the one who came up with the accent. Um, it was, he was originally just called Jason and he was just kind of a bland villain. And so Peter McNichol really created that character. And he said that what he wanted to do was he wanted to be, have like a Beatles haircut mm. to kind of imply that the Beatles had just come to Carpathia. That's how behind the times they were. Okay. Um, but that idea was vetoed because they said like, oh, well, we've got four guys in this movie who, who all have dark hair. So you can't have dark hair too. So that'll, <laughs> he, that'll got, be... he got that little uh, <laughs> eraser head look uh they don't want to confuse the audience yeah i guess so you like know. oh who, is that peter mcnichol or uh, ernie hudson i can't tell the difference <laughs> well i mean who can who can <laughs> okay <laughs> oh wow all right uh i mean i also like there was like a good number of uh cameos in this film uh, I, I saw you know philip baker hall really quickly in that one scene uh cheech yeah. marin ben stein yes and of course yep. who could forget the the uh, iconic uh, acting debut of one Bobby Brown as the, as the like the bellhop. Uh, yeah, he's he's like a doorman at Gracie Mansion. Yeah, yeah. How did you, how did you leave out Cheech Marin? I said Cheech Marin. Oh, you did. Oh, sorry. He did, yeah, yeah. Cheech, Cheech Marin. He's when the the Titanic is docking. Better right? late than never. Yeah, that, and that's a good line. It's that's a great line. line. It's a great I think line. it's a gag that they cut from the first movie, if I remember correctly. Oh. Um, but. What do you think of the new Bobby Brown song, the theme song? Oh, terrible. Ah, uh, yeah. not I, good. No, I, I, I look as somebody. I, I, I like it. <laughs> I'll say it. I, okay. I liked it then. I like it now. I don't. Maybe I just like cheesy Bobby Brown '90s dance. I mean, it's catchy, but it's not. It, it it's not the. I mean, you can, you can't really write a theme as good as the the original Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters, but. Uh, Right. Yeah. This this is just is not on the same level. Right. I mean, I'm not saying it's Ray Parker Jr. level because that's just top tier. That's top shelf. That's the that's the Grey Goose in my mind. Right. Uh, but it the is Grey Goose. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the Grey Goose of songs. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, that on our own, it, it'll always get my toe tapping. I mean, maybe it's mostly nostalgia for me. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think that shit slaps, son. Okay. Wow. All right. I think that's the, only, that's the only time that's been said about that. Yep. <laughs> yep. This is it. There was there was one line uh, when they're meeting with the mayor towards the end where Aykroyd says, "And I'd like you to know that almost fifty percent of us voted for you in the last election." <laughs> Which I didn't really remember that line, but I was like, "That's really good" because there are four guys yeah. and almost fifty percent. So that either means that only one of them voted for the mayor, or one didn't vote, and one out of the f- remaining three voted, so it was thirty-three percent. Either way, very clever line. So I, that was a great line. That, that was a great line. But it's also, and, and we sort of covered this already. But that the whole mayor scene, it was just yeah. such a rehash, and yeah. it was, and it was the same mayor, and like they they could have done at least changed something up i don't know mm-hmm. and had a new mayor who was like oh yeah i heard about you guys or something mm-hmm. i don't just something but it was just it just amazes me that with those guys writing and how good they are and how funny they are and how aware they are 
they just decided to just go back to the well. Um, mm. And maybe it was the studio. Maybe the studio said, you know. Well, you know, I, I read some studio backstory on this. And, like, you know, part of the reason it took five years for them to do the sequel was, one, Bill Murray took a hiatus from films after the Razor's Edge bombed. Um, cause he only agreed to do the first Ghostbusters if he, if they would finance the Razor's Edge, <laughs> which was like his big dramatic debut and that didn't do well. Um, and then he retired or, or well, you know, kept away from films until he did Scrooge the year before this. And he was also pissed off because Columbia had been taken over by this guy, uh, David Putnam, uh, who was, who was much more of an artsy kind of guy. He had, he liked a lot of foreign films and stuff like that. And he said at a luncheon, uh, the British American Chamber of Commerce luncheon, he called Bill Murray an actor who makes millions off movies but gives nothing back to his art. Oh. <laughs> and he just resented blockbuster films in general. So he was not... <laughs> <laughs> he was not a real Ghostbusters booster, but he was fired in the fall of 87, and then his replacement was Don Steele, who made... A Ghostbuster sequel a priority but I mean just reading that where it's just like uh hey yeah star of our movie our, our potential sequel you suck <laughs> that's, yeah that's not uh those aren't things you want to say to people yeah or about people I mean you know and I mean I think it also is worth just considering that in in 89 sequels and franchises weren't what they are today true you know and I mean, and and almost to the detriment of movies today, almost every movie is made with the idea of, ooh, can I turn this into a franchise? Literally, mm-hmm. there's not a movie made that's not like an art house movie that isn't somehow considered like, how can I get more out of more blood out of this stone? Right. Um, right. Especially in the age of like Marvel movies where everybody wants to have like the big internet connected universe. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, look, and it, there's a lot to be said for that. But then there's also... It's okay to make one good movie and just walk mm-hmm. away. Like, yeah. like I think of I think of the the Joker. Like I liked the Joker, and yeah. I would have been good if they were like, "That's it." That's you know when when Joaquin Phoenix said, "I'm not making another." I was like, "Great, that was that was awesome because that movie was a great experience, and I'm good." But then and then when they announced the sequel, like part of me is like, "Ah, oh, cool, we get to see more." And then the part of me that actually liked the first movie was like, "Ah." But they're going to ruin it, mm-hmm. like they can, and that's the problem with sequels, and especially if you weren't planning on making it into a franchise and you didn't have that kind of vision. Which right. you know, which I, I, at the time they made the first Ghostbusters, I, I don't know that it was was an idea that like, hey, we could probably make another one of these. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. There, there was a good article on Cracked that I just looked up again, which just made the point that yeah, they weren't really planning a sequel and like the appeal of ghostbusters it isn't necessarily the world of ghostbusters or the mythology of ghostbusters it's because we had bill murray dan Aykroyd, and harold ramus all at their comedic peaks and you know that's the appeal of it, it, it the the premise and the the supernatural stuff that's just kind of icing on the cake right right but the, but the truth is that the and and again this just goes back to my fanboyness of the first movie they it, they still did it so well. They they did all that stuff that they almost didn't have to do that well so well. Mm-hmm. You know, making it feel like all of this was the whole lore behind Gozer and 
um, the, 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 you know, the, the gatekeeper and the key master and the building and, and, and everything that went into it, they made it feel like almost, you know, there were people who actually went and like looked it up. Like, like they believe, like they were like, Oh, this must've been based off of something. Like they did such a good job with all of that. Right. Right. And then this version in the sequel, at no point was I like, Oh, I bet Vigo was a real person that I believe that. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it was ridiculous. Like, obviously he was a made up character. It's just, it, it just, the whole, the writing just felt so lazy. And I think that goes back to the point that I was horribly stumbling around is that sequels are hard. Yes. Especially when you don't have a plan for a sequel, when you're writing the first, you know, the first one that, and they, you know, and it's, it's almost like a, uh, um, like your sophomore album, you know, mm-hmm. you've been spending and, and look as a, as a comic, we've, we've all done stand up comedy here, you know, you you spend so much so long. Like I, I recorded my first album after I'd been doing comedy for 15 years mm-hmm. and the hour and whatever minutes, however many long it was, all that material was built up over those 15 years, wow. right. better or worse. So then if, if, if I was to have made it, you know, and somebody was like, Oh, right. You know, well, you know, we want you, we want to pick you up. Uh, we're going to need another album out of you in 12 months. There's no way that album would have been as good, <laughs> right? Like, right. I mean, I mean, maybe it would have because I would be sort of getting stage time everywhere, and I it might have been a little easier. But you, you know, and that's the same thing with a sophomore album. Like these bands spend all these years making these albums, this first album, and then the studio's like, all right, we need another album in six months. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing with a movie like this. Like these guys were writing this movie and they building up their chemistry over the years of all the different projects they worked on together, and then it was just like, all right, we need another one. It's like, well, we kind of blew our load on the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you want out of the the second one? Like, come on! And the studio is just like, well, give us the same thing again. Like, yeah. Right. Well, and that and that's the tricky thing is like in a sequel, you have to to some degree repeat the first movie, but you also have to introduce enough new elements to make it an interesting viewing experience in its own right. And that that is very tricky because if you do too much. You know, if it's too much like the first one, it's not great. And if it's too different, it's not great. You really have to hit it right down the middle, and it's tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with the first one, like, like I mean, we keep saying, or we keep saying, like, with the first Ghostbusters movie, like, they really caught lightning in a bottle where just everything was just perfect. They had the right balance of, you know, comedy and horror and sci-fi-ness. And they, they had never been really able to, like, sort of replicate that same formula. Because, like, if you look in all the other Ghostbusters movies that's come out since, they haven't hit quite the same. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing for this one, too. Like, I, I like this movie, again. Like, we should we should probably at some point talk about what we do, did like about this film. But, yeah, it doesn't quite hit the same notes as the first one did. Because, like, as, as you said, it is hard to do a sequel and just get that same, repeat that same magic you did the first time around. Yeah. But, but you know what? And on the heels of all of that, I'll say this, that they had a very successful cartoon franchise, yeah. uh, which I, which to date is one of my favorite cartoon series. I remember as a kid watching it and not even realizing how much I loved the show. Mm-hmm. And it, it they had some really, really good episodes and some of them were pretty dark. Um, and, you know, I was a I was a Transformer G.I. Joe He-Man kid growing up. But I, I watched Ghostbusters really, and I, you know, I don't think I was ever like one of those that I would have like listed on my favorite cartoons, but I never missed an episode. And 
I love that show. And I could I could probably tell you more of those episodes than I could of any of the other cartoons that I watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't like there. And I'm not saying they should have based a movie off of an episode of a cartoon, but it wasn't like there wasn't story out there for them to pull from. And or at least just general concepts and ideas. Right. Uh, right. There was there was one cartoon episode where they there was like a haunted house and the house was like actually like alive Mm. and it was i think it was killing the people that would live in it and they went in and like it brainwashed them and made them think they were actually living in the house i can't remember but it was really creepy Mm -hmm. and at the at the end they finally ended up destroying the house like now as a cartoon they did it in a way that wasn't so violent or gory or whatever but when you really sit down and think about what was going on behind the scenes you're like oh that was probably pretty messed up (laughs) like people definitely died (laughs) and they definitely killed some supernatural entity but like something like that they could have turned that into like it didn't have to be and maybe and maybe that's that's where they 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 stumbled is that they they went the exact same route well it's got to be this and and a lot of the movies do that you see the same thing in like the marvel cinematic universe like Mm -hmm. each time the threat has to be as big or bigger Right. Like why not? Well, why, why not just make it smaller? Why not make mm-hmm. a movie about one bust that they had to go on that's a challenge or that's especially dangerous? Like, it doesn't have to be global consequences. It could just be them in a day of their in their lives doing their what's now just their job. But to Darren's point, I do. I do. And all of that said, I still do like it. Look, they're great characters. They still work yeah. great together. There was no. Mm-hmm. There was no point where I was like, "Oh, they're like being forced to deal with each other." Like they have, they all had great chemistry. They assumed their character roles perfectly, and I enjoyed you. Would, and 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 this goes to almost my point in any type of story that I'll get involved in, whether it's a book or a movie or a TV show or anything. If you give me great characters, I will watch those characters make spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. You know, true. I like, mean, even like the the scene where they're testing out the mood slime in the toaster, you know, that's oh, fantastic. That's of, yeah, it's it's great, and it because it's getting exposition across about you know how the the mood slime operates, but you also have uh, Venkman teasing Egon about you know you know you're not sleeping with it, are you? <laughs> <laughs> and then he just goes, "You hound!" <laughs> it's always the quiet ones. <laughs> You know, that's fun because they they inject a lot of character in there, and and you really remember that exposition because it's a good character scene too. Yeah. Oh, it's great, and they're and the, and and you get the feeling that they really like each other, and they have mm-hmm. history, and that yes. they're you know like a lot of movies when they introduce a bunch of characters and they're and they have to go well we you know we've been together since high school. It's like they said that because you didn't believe that they've known each other forever. <laughs> These guys, you believe they've known each other forever. And it, yeah. it, it really, it just goes to show how far characters go. Look, to Nolan movies, some of them are great, some of them aren't. Nolan is, outside of outside of Heath Ledger's Joker, I don't think in one Nolan movie was there a character that I was ever really invested in. Right. And, but he makes, he's made some great movies. Yeah. But... Mm-hmm. I would never care about seeing any of those characters do anything again other than Heath, Ledger, Heath Ledger's Joker. These guys, I could literally watch them, you know, probably at a like meet with their accountant or their, you know, or like, mm-hmm. you know, to sit, sit around and, you know, deal with their family. Like they're they're just great characters. Um 
and it's just it's just so entertaining to watch them that I I'm able to gloss over all the 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 bruises in this movie for in favor of the characters. Yeah, that's true. I, it is. I mean, I guess bottom line, it is fun to just spend another hour and a half, two hours with these characters because they are fun and funny and charismatic. And yeah, maybe a lot of the jokes don't hit quite as hard as the first one, but there's enough in there that I think it's worth seeing. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, um, I agree, you know, what, what, what you what you said throughout this uh, episode, they do hit the familiar beats. They do need that, like, that same big bad threat like they had in the first one instead of Gozer, it's Vigo. And he, but even though, like, Vigo isn't as, he doesn't see him as imposing and threatening as Gozer was. And, uh, like, you know, they do follow the same beats that they did in the first movie. But also, at the same time, uh, like, the characters still have great chemistry. They're still, like, really good with each other. The the beats are still there. And it's just good to see them in the movie. Like, they carry over, like, the uh, issues that, any any issue that I would have with this movie. And, you know, one of the... <laughs> One of the other like fan service nods was when mm-hmm. when uh, Lewis Tully goes to get on the bus and Slimer's there. Yeah, and it's just it's like fine, like because Sl- Slimer became a big part of the cartoon, right? And they knew the fans liked Slimer, and mm-hmm. so there he was. But it was like, where did he come from, <laughs> and why? Yeah, what? apparently there was supposed to be like this whole subplot between Lewis and Slimer with Lewis, like, I think, trying to capture Slimer in the Ghostbusters firehouse. Firehouse. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd heard that at some point, too, that Slimer was haunting the firehouse. Yeah, but they, they like they cut that down or they cut most of that out. And they also had some reshoots on the movie, like just a couple months before it was released. So it was obviously a more troubled production than the first one. Yeah. And it was shot a lot faster. I, I was reading that the first one was shot over like 13 months. And they didn't have anything like that in this one. But, but 13 months, that seems like a, a ton of time to shoot a movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just to shoot the movie? Absolutely. I mean, I, maybe that was including the special effects work, which makes more sense to me. But anyway. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, there, yeah. Was, there, was, there was a lot of you know, fan service in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And it... It clearly it worked because people, you know, I'm sure every, I'm sure when that door opened and Slimer was there, uh, people were like, oh, my God, it's him. Right. right. Movie. <laughs> you know, very, very excited about it. But at the same time, it just kind of li- it kind of goes back to that. Like, ah, they just, you know, they just dug back into the well of like what worked. <laughs> yeah. 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 Very true. Very true. So, yeah, I, I w- yeah, I, I kind of wish that it had been a little more different from the first movie. But but I th- I do feel at the same time this movie is a little overhated. 100%. Um, Absolutely. I, mean, I, I think people are too hard on it just because it isn't the instant comedy classic that the first one was. Yeah. Which is, that's an almost impossible bar to clear, you know? Well, that's the thing. It should, I don't think it should be hated. Yeah. But in that the first movie is so beloved... That, yes. that if you're going to say about this movie that it's just uh, okay, it's you know it's good enough, and I think it, I personally think it's better than good enough, but it's not the first movie. So if it's not the first movie, then it's bad. Like that's the right. that's your two options. You're either as good as the first or you're terrible, which yeah. is an impossible standard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sad but true. Yeah. Sad but true. And you know, and I, you're you're absolutely right. I think if people actually sat down and gave this movie its its fair shake, they'd say, 
It's okay. It's okay. You know, I, I laughed. I enjoyed it. I didn't hate. Yeah. Like, I didn't hate my time I spent watching this movie. I don't regret no. watching it like a certain other version of this movie that I that watched. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I don't actively avoid it like that version. Uh, right. And you weren't too nuts about Afterlight either, as I recall. No, no. Yeah. I was not. But I also did. I didn't hate that movie either. I just right. was disappointed because it could have been so much better. Right. Um, Whereas this one, this one, I think this one, I think it, it goes in order of release. This, the first one was the best, the second one, and then the third one. The se- this was the second one was definitely better than Afterlife. Um, because Afterlife they didn't even try to have like a different, like there wasn't even, <laughs> there wasn't even really a plot in Afterlife. <laughs> it was just a bunch of here's some stuff you remember. You're old now, but remember how cool it was to be a kid. <laughs> and they just kept throwing it at us and we were like okay i'll keep eating what you're throwing at me <laughs> i don't i mean i feel like afterlife at least tried to change it up a little bit because it's like mostly taking place outside of new york and, and john that's all yeah john you fell for it you're a <laughs> sucker they said oh you know what if we take it out of new york but do all the same shit everyone will be like this is a different movie john you fell for it yeah dummy <laughs> I thought you were better than that. Kevin Israel, Ghostbusters truther. <laughs> wow. I say it because I love. I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, Kevin, th- thanks so much for doing this and walking through Ghostbusters 2 with us. Uh, it was it was a fun... Uh, it, it's always fun talking movies with you. And, I, you know, I appreciate it. and I, I We had a good time. I, I do adore you guys, and I love the topic. And hopefully they yeah. make some more of these movies so I can come back and talk about how much I hate them. All right. yeah. them. Well, I mean, they are making a sequel to Afterlife, so... <laughs> we'll have you on. <laughs> I look forward to it. Uh, so. so is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything you want to promote, Kev? Uh, you can just go to my website, kevinisrael.com, for upcoming dates. My album, The Struggle is Real, is available on iTunes and everywhere you, that you get streaming music. Uh, and yeah, just, uh, check me out on social media, Kevin Israel, wherever you poke around on the social platforms. Yeah. And Israel, uh, spelled like the country. Yes. Yes. Like the country. Yes. So, awesome. all right. Well, uh, I think that's, a, that's our show for the week. Thanks again to Kevin Israel. Uh, and, uh, you can follow us on the social media. We're at SNL nerd show on Twitter. Cause I think Twitter is still a thing right now. We're recording this several days in advance. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, you can also follow our individual pages. I'm at Trumbull Comic, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L, and the word comic. And I'm at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I-N Credible, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. So, uh, and then next week, we're going to be back with uh, more SNL nerds. Uh, Saturday Night Live is still off, but uh, we're going to uh, cover another movie starring an SNL alum, as is our style and since <laughs> uh since it's a little topical um we're going to do a sherlock holmes movie we're going to do holmes and watson starring will ferrell and john c Riley. which from what i hear not good <laughs> oh boy so yeah um that's going to be interesting to talk about because I'm a real Sherlock Holmes fan. Uh, January 6th is generally regarded as Sherlock Holmes's birthday. And so that's what, that's our little tie in for this. 
So, yeah, we're going to go through this and see how bad it is, and I can talk about how how uh, accurate it is to the Sherlock Holmes canon. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm bracing myself for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so we will see. We will see. It probably won't be as good as Ghostbusters 2, obviously. <laughs> so that's going to be it uh, for us this time around. We'll see you next time. Until then, nerds, nerds out! out. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.